I feel very, very fortunate in that I get to be a creative and I get to live my life as I want to each and every day that I wake up. I think especially after having worked in a corporate structure for so long, there is nothing that is more intoxicating to me than freedom. Right. This is What's Next podcast with you, Mindy Francis. We're talking fashion, business, and what's next. Let's go. Today we have Chrissy Rutherford. Chrissy has spent 15 years in the fashion industry as a digital editor, writing, fashion market work, styling, and ASME-nominated social media expert. In 2020, she co-founded a diversity and inclusion consulting company to assist brands as they make long-needed changes to be actively anti-racist. In 2021, Chrissy launched a very personal newsletter called Forward Joy, where she writes about her mental health journey and self-discovery. And she also interviews people that she admires. She's also a full-time creator and has partnered with brands such as J. Crew, Tiffany & Co., Tencel, JW Marriott Hotels, Samsonite, De Beers, Jimmy Choo, Claude Lee, Supergoop, Headspace, and so much more. What's next, podcast family? I'd like to introduce my friend, Chrissy Rutherford, to the show. Welcome, Chrissy. Oh, my God. You, Mindy, I am truly so honored to be here today. And we are in London because she's pretty much my favorite British expat <laughs> slash New Yorker slash obviously to interview her schedule wise. I had to be in London, right? Obviously. <laughs> so happy to sit down with you. I'm so proud of all that you continue to do. And there's so much about who you are in your work that our listeners can glean from. So let's get into it. Yes, let's. Again, 15 years in the fashion industry is a significant amount of time. Please tell us who Chrissy Rutherford is and how she got here. Uh, I mean, that is a, a loaded very question. big question because <laughs> I feel like I've lived so many different lives already. And like, you know, the last three years, I've kind of been in a new chapter. But I think that, you know, most people came to know me while I was an editor at Harper's Bazaar. I spent almost nine years there. And that's really where I built you know, the most of my career. And I was just involved in so many different aspects of the digital side of the brand and really growing it. Because when I came in, um, you know, I was one of three editors, the the website was like a dumping ground for the magazine, there was no original work. And we really crafted that site into what it is today. And I was also tasked with running the Instagram account on top of all the other many jobs that I you know, the many jobs that I did when you work in digital, like you can't just do one thing. You have to wear every single hat, especially um, at the time when you were coming up. Yes. Like this is, you know, 2011, I believe I started there. And that was also when Instagram was really just taking off. So it was you know, the two are really going hand in hand. And yeah, I got to like explore so many different interests while I was there as well. I think, you know, I always wanted to work in fashion, but I always had this idea that I wanted to work for a print magazine. And I always like to say that I manifested this career before I even knew what manifesting was because I I did have this very singular vision for what I wanted to do. But in reality, my career ended up being so much bigger than I could have ever imagined for myself, truly. Wow. 
Wow. So you grew, while, while you were at Harper's Bazaar, you grew that Instagram account to millions and millions of followers. Yes. What, I mean, so many folks want to know and understand, like, how, how... I mean, of course, it's the behemoth Harper's Bazaar. I know. So I'm like, I can't take full credit. Right. But intimately knowing knowing how these things tick and and being aligned with the media and publishing industry, it wasn't an easy feat because it was during a time when folks really couldn't figure it out. And here you are just figuring it out yourself. What was the day in, day out sort of scenario? You know, when we first started, um, as I said, like I was one of three editors and we were all kind of just like taking turns posting on the Instagram. And I think after like our first sort of official meeting with Instagram where we went over best practices and whatnot, they really suggested that the Instagram account be run by one person. And I really do believe that it the vision just kind of suffers when too many people are involved. So I was the youngest on the team and I was tasked with taking it over. And of course, as I said, I'm like, I can't take full credit because I just had so much to work with. Obviously, you know, Harper's Bazaar is an iconic American luxury fashion magazine. We have some of the most iconic imagery. And so I was really a curator and I had to be I had to learn our audience and what they wanted to see. They wanted to see beautiful gowns. You know, they wanted these photos that really felt like a moment. And it's such a an actual skill set to learn what a good photo looks like and what is going to resonate online. Because sometimes images that we think are really beautiful in a magazine do not hit the same way on an Instagram account. And you know, it was a lot of playing around and also just coming up with the voice for the Instagram. And, you know, I love the like media companies that can take more risk and have a really funny voice. But I knew uh, Bazaar is a over 100 year old brand over 150 years old. So I knew that was never really going to be us. Our voice just had to be very authoritative. So I tried to keep it as simple as possible and still have fun where where appropriate. Um, but yeah, it was really just like curating all these beautiful moments. And I think also like when it came to choosing photos, you know, I spent a year at InStyle.com before I was at Bazaar. And photos were also such a big moment there where I remember every morning, we would have a meeting where the photo editor would like hang up red carpet photos from the night before and we would go through the photos and they used to do the like look of the day and I feel like that really trained me to train your eye yeah really trained my eye for what a great photo looks like right which is so important in developing a brand it's a very nuanced thing that many brands um miss the you know you it's it's a trained eye sort of situation and very few people have it inherently but it's pretty much a trained eye scenario so harper's bazaar was nominated for an asme award in 2019 for social media how did that make you feel Oh my god, that was so exciting. It all it almost feels surreal now like being being what 4 years out from that. I'm like, did that really happen? Um, you know, the Asmies are a huge deal. It's like the Oscars of the publishing world, and I remember we were up against like Bon Appetit and 
Uh, I guess I don't remember who else, but, um, you know, I really wanted us to win, of course, and we didn't. But truly, to be honored or to be nominated is such a huge honor. So it was just like a really exciting moment. And I knew at that time that I wanted to leave. So I also really felt like I was going out on a high note with that nomination. Amazing. And that was my <laughs> next question. You had such a phenomenal career at Harper's Bazaar, um, leading digital media in, in that capacity, a great writer interviewing, covering some very phenomenal events. It was It's a dream job for many. Yeah. Sitting front row at shows, um, some of the best design houses in the world. Why did you leave? Oh, you know, that job was absolutely my dream job. I always saw myself working at Harper's Bazaar. I never dreamed of like being there so I could make it to Vogue. Like that was it for me. But when I started to look around at the people that were above me, like say my boss or Glenda Bailey, who was still the editor in chief at the time, I had to ask myself, like, is that the job that I want in the end? Is that the end game for me? And I knew that it wasn't. I didn't want that job because I still wanted to be creative. And when you get to the level, like, those are business roles. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, yeah. truly, That's what you, are, <laughs> you are managing and you, you're managing relationships within your company, within your teams, and you're also managing relationships with the brands. And that is such a huge part of it. And I just knew that I still really wanted to be creative. I also just had this underlying feeling that I knew that I was meant to do more with my life. And as we also know in the industry, things are very hierarchical and like where you are is sort of where you are and you can't outshine or overtake anybody else. You got to stay and play in your, your position in yes. your position <laughs> and it was just getting a little suffocating for me and and I was burnt out as it does with creators <laughs> yeah and and I was really getting burnt out I think running the Instagram account posting up to four times a day on the you know on the weekends and if Kim Kardashian announces that she's having a baby on Christmas day like you have to work there's no wow. downtime because you are a slave to the news cycle and that just, you know, I hit my limits. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Slave to the news cycle in a way that it wasn't for newspapers because you still have to, um, you know, have that take time to publish that. But yeah. so interesting. And I remember that period for you when you were preparing to leave and not knowing what was on the other side of the door. Truly. And here you are with <laughs> so much for us to talk about. I and know. we're sitting on this sofa getting into it. So who is Chrissy Rutherford today? What do you do? There's so much to talk about. I know. I feel very, very fortunate in that I get to be a creative and I get to live my life as I want to each and every day that I wake up. I think especially after having worked in a corporate structure for so long, there is nothing that is more intoxicating to me than freedom right? and being able to do what I want to do. And I get to do all sorts of things from creating content for some of my absolute favorite brands. I'm hosting a podcast right now for Maybelline about mental health, which I am very passionate about. And I've been able to sort of take that mental health 
advocacy to another level since I left my job at Bizarre as well. I launched a newsletter in 2021 called Forward Joy, where I write a lot about my mental health journey and just, you know, the act of self-discovery and interviewing people who I think have important stories that should be told. And I feel like that's, um, you know, that was actually a huge part as well of my job at Bizarre that I sort of carried over with me was like, I loved the act of finding a good story. Um, and I also do consulting. I launched a company with Daniel Prescott in 2020. And we started consulting for brands and hosting workshops around being um hosting workshops around anti-racism and it's been really challenging but also so uh, fulfilling at the same time yeah you pretty much summed up the whole interview in one minute so forgive me if i'm redundant and yes. go back to some of these no, things of course. But that's phenomenal we can break it all down yeah we we're gonna break it all down so so many of us um you know so many people have their own personal brands and realize how much of a full-time job it is to run their own social media much less someone else's <laughs> so i think since leaving um you know, that time at Harper's Bazaar when you built a lot of relationships forward facing from brands to celebrities to, yeah. you know, you name it. Um, you're now no longer with Harper's Bazaar and and you begin to grow in a and flourish in a very different way. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, obvious to say that you are definitely an influencer and influential for so many reasons, but you built your own social media following in minutes. And what was that like? What were you thinking? So I would say when I was at Bazaar, I tried to be very careful because one of my jobs was running the Instagram account and I was never going to let anybody try to tell me that I was putting more effort into my personal Instagram account than the one that I was being paid to run. Right. So, you know, I always was very mindful of this running the Instagram account for Bizarre is truly my job and what I do for myself that is fun and but that's personal and and I just didn't want it to ever look like I was putting too much effort into it, which was also at times like to my own detriment because I could have put a lot more energy into it. But it was hard. I had a lot of other things going on. Um, but I think that I was still strategic in how I was growing it because, yes, I would share my outfits and I would share these behind the scenes of you know, what I was doing if I was at work or traveling or at an event. But I also used it as a way to show people that like, yes, I have this really incredible job that I know so many girls who follow me hope to be in one day. But I also struggle with anxiety and I also have problems. And there are a lot of times that I need to really prioritize taking care of myself. And so, you know, I used it as a tool to be really vulnerable about things that that I experience in my life that are not as glamorous as all the things that, you know, I get to do because of my job. And I think so many people gravitated towards that and saw themselves and, and felt seen yeah. because of it. So how would you define your um, your social media persona and the message that you're trying to communicate? I think that I, I think of what you see is what you get. 
You know, I try to be as straight up as possible with people. And I just always want people to know that there's a lot of strength in being vulnerable. I think, listen, it can, yes, it's not always easy for me, but I do it because I know that it helps other people. And I think that is really what everything that I do sort of boils down to at the end of the day. And that's what keeps me going and wants me to continue sharing more intimate parts of my life. What really fuels me at the end of the day is that I want to help people. And so that is what I'm thinking when I'm sharing these really vulnerable moments, um, you know, on social media. Like it's not even so much about me anymore. It's about how I can use these stories for other people to see themselves and for them to find connection with me. So what's your newsletter Forward Joy about? And when did you launch that? I launched Forward Joy in 2021. It's named after my dad, actually. His birth name name was Forward Joy. Wow. Literally. (laughs) Literally written out F-O-W-A-R-D. So I shortened it to FWD, just like you forward an email. Um, He changed his name when he first came to the U.S. And he's always, like, felt a little embarrassed by it, but I think it's just actually such a cool name and like kind of a cool tidbit (laughs) (laughs) and like kind of, I don't know. I'm like, it has like this, like very hippie, like he grew up on a farm in the mountains in Jamaica and I just really kind of cherish it. And it was the first thing that came to my mind when honestly, when I was thinking about, about a newsletter and to me, there was also I've put like a very significant, I think, uh, interpretation of it, which is like, there's always joy ahead of us. Like no matter where we are in life, if we're having a good day or we're having a bad day, because uh, like our life is always going to come in cycles and there's, it's always going to ebb and flow, but no matter where you are, there's always going to be joy ahead of you. And so I think that is, you know, what I try to focus on in my newsletter. And actually in my first newsletter, I told, I wrote, my, my newsletters are not always actually going to be about joy. That's not necessarily the point of it. I, write a lot about really challenging times in my life um, and, you know, wondering why I feel like so stressed out about being in a certain work environment or in relationships or, you know, the stress of being an adult living with your parents during a pandemic. Um, But you know, there's still so much to be learned. And I personally feel very fueled by self-discovery and understanding myself. And actually, I get a lot of joy through that and through my resilience of, yeah, I went through these really challenging times, but I made it to the other side. And now I have all these lessons with me that I can continue to take forward with me. Yeah. So you just mentioned about moving home. Yes. You know, what was that like? So for those who don't know you, our listeners, explain to them what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So, 
you know, I quit my job at Bazaar six weeks before the pandemic hit. So no one knew what the hell was going on. And of course, lockdown came in mid-March. And I was like, okay, I don't have a job. My lease was ending. And I was like, okay, there was this like stress of shit. Like, I don't really have anything figured out. So I was like, wait, if I go home to my parents' house, and I don't have to pay rent, then I don't have to have my life figured out right this second. And I'm very fortunate in that I grew up in Westchester County, just an hour outside the city. So um, I kind of have the best of both worlds. Like I get to live, especially like during lockdown, I got to live in a house with a yard and have space and go outside and be amongst like the trees and the woods. But I'm also an hour train ride to New York City. So yeah, I sp- I've spent the last three years um, being based, you know, at my my childhood home. And I love the content, <laughs> especially when your dad's included. I know. Everyone loves my dad. I always say he is just as cool as he seems online. <laughs> but here you are today in London. Yes. And what was and what was that like? Or what what inspired you to come here? So when I was working at Bazaar, I used to cover London Fashion Week. So I would be here twice a year. And I just made some good friends here and like felt like I was building a little bit of a network. And I think like a lot of Americans, I always kind of like romanticized, you know, the idea of being in Europe. And and there was just something about the energy of the city, though, every time I came here, it just felt so nice. And I would always feel like profoundly sad when I had to go home. So um, actually, right after I left my job at Bazaar, like truly three days after my last day in the office, I was actually on a plane and I came to London and I was supposed to be here for about two and a half months. And I was going to, you know, just like test it out and see if I wanted to be here full time. But I had to come home early because of lockdown. And so I came back last summer and kind of thinking like, okay, I'll spend like, um, again, like a month or two months. We'll see how it goes. And I ended up staying here for five months. And, you know, I have the freedom to work from wherever I want. So it just kind of clicked like, okay, well, when I need a break from my parents or I want a break from New York, I can be in London and spend time here. And it's just worked out really well for me, actually. Yeah, you're very comfortable (laughs) here and you have quite the community, I can tell. And I know personally. So I just want to talk about the transition from basically running, having your own brand. Now you are an entrepreneur and you are are building a business around yourself and your brand. Mm -hmm. So many people, you know, in this day and age have that challenge. It's a full time job. What what has been some of the, you know, the the business challenges or things that you've had to, you know, kind of navigate or figure out? Yeah. I mean, that's as you said, like it is a business. And I am so not business minded um, in many ways. Like, as I said, I'm like, I'm a creative, I'm an ideas person. Um, I, it's definitely been challenging of just like, you know, all, I mean, first of all, working with so many different vendors, being the brands and the invoicing and all of this stuff. And luckily, you know, a few months after I started working on my own, I got a manager. And so they really help 
negotiate all my deals and do all the invoicing and all of that. And and that took a huge weight off of my shoulders because like as I was sort of growing this content creation business, I was also growing a consulting business. And the two things at once, um, you know, especially during the summer of 2020 when, you know, we just we had the BLM resurgence and just like so many different things were in the middle of a pandemic going on. And it was really a lot for me to handle. Um, and yeah, figuring out like what are the right opportunities for me. I'm very fortunate in that I don't have to say yes to everything. Like I I do, I'm in a position where I can turn down deals and, um, you know, figuring out really what makes sense. And, you know, I'm an intuitive person and I try to just like go with with my gut on most things, like, is this an opportunity that makes me feel really excited? Is this an opportunity that like, I'm like, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of like dragging my feet on making a decision. Like, you know, I have a lot of things coming at me at all times. So there, there are those times where I'm like, okay, I'm making, I'm taking too long to make a decision. So I don't think I really want to do it. Because if I, I did, I would, you know, feel like more lit up by it. Um, yeah. And just also, like, how do you keep reinventing the wheel? Like, there are so many influencers and content creators out there. How do you continue to set yourself apart apart from everyone else? I remember years ago, before I left my job at Bazaar, and I was talking to another, like, former editor friend who had gone out on her own. And, you know, we were talking about you know, whether I could be an influencer after I left Bazaar. And this was probably like 2018. And she was like, you know, you're not going to be able to like, you know, make enough money to support yourself just doing that. So she's like, you know, you want to have a backup plan because like the market is so oversaturated. And that was in 2018. She was saying that to me. So it's like, if the market was oversaturated, then like, what is it now? It's insane. It is. It's highly competitive. But you know, I, as I, you know, touched upon before, like, I feel very much like rooted in a higher purpose. So I don't really let that get to me of like, oh, this person's doing that. And this person's doing this. Um, you know, I know where I'm going and and what I think feels right for me and, and the kinds of opportunities that I want to pursue. So I very much like, you know, stay with the blinders on and I just keep moving towards like what feels right for me. But, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's still like it's a highly, highly competitive industry and it is just not for the weak at heart. Right, right. So um, yet you have a partnership with Maybelline. Yes. And that has brought you to podcasting. Yes. And the podcast is phenomenal. Thank you. But you focus on mental health. Yep. And how did that come about and how do you how does that align with who you are as a brand? You know, getting the opportunity to host a mental health podcast for a brand like Maybelline has been such a huge honor. I think especially, you know, after 
being in the fashion industry for so long and like, yes, of course, we know it is a very serious business, but I think so many people still look at it as being very frivolous and vain. And so to be able to sort of like straddle both these worlds of like, yes, I'm in fashion, always will be, but I also, you know, get to really stand firmly in mental health advocacy and lead really deep and important conversations around anxiety and depression and all sorts of mental health issues for a global brand like Maybelline is a really big deal for me. And it's been so incredible to work on this podcast. Um, Their podcast agency had approached me the spring of 2022. Um, I think actually Maybelline's PR team had put me up for it. So they hired a great production team who, you know, was handling all the logistics and Um, You know, from the moment they first reached out to me, I was really excited by the opportunity and especially because it is a podcast where we truly only talk about mental health. Like there's no beauty talk. There's no nothing like we're really getting down to the issues. And I think it means a lot for a brand like Maybelline to also really stand so firmly in their work and their wanting to challenge the stigma around around mental health, uh, especially being a beauty brand with like where so much focus is on the outside, but they also care about what's going on in the inside. And and I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it's such a testament to what you've built as a brand that Maybelline would want to partner with you in that capacity. And we've had conversations about your podcast. And what really struck me was how intimately you um, are, you know, you feel for the people that you have on the show, the conversations that you have, and how real it is for you. So I think that's one of the reasons it's so successful, because you. you just have so much heart and passion in it. Yeah. And I think, you know, having worked at a brand like Bazaar, like I know what it is like to have a powerful platform and what can be done with it and how you can help people who don't have a platform that large. Um, I think a lot about the people that we put value into in our society. And I really want to make sure that people who have important and valuable things to say and meaningful things to say, I want them to be heard. Right, right. So, boy, I think we we talk so much on this show about pivoting and growth. Yes. Of course, if you talk about your journey, there's twists and turns and, and yep. you know, we arrive in that place. And so you mentioned earlier on in the conversation about Daniel Prescott, your yes. fashion uh, colleague and author and how the two of you came to join forces to start this consultancy amongst the many things that you do. <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk about how the two of you came together to do that. And I can't even ask what inspired you. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's yeah. just tell us about that journey, that yeah. chapter, this ongoing chapter. Yeah. Um Danielle and I have known each other for many years. She was an editor at L.com while I was at Bizarre.com. And we were sister sites. We sat on the same floor together. Um, and during that time, we really, you know, struck up a friendship. And uh, while, you know, every, 
right after the murder of George Floyd, I had posted a video on my Instagram that ended up going viral. And, um, you know, with it, within 24 hours of me posting that video, Danielle had also posted um, another video, again, like talking about what was going on and why it's important for people to speak up and, you know, stand up for black people. And, um, her video also started going viral and we were just literally in our Instagram DMs kind of, you know, chatting with one another about what was going on, who was reaching out to us, who was coming to us for in advice. Terms of brands or pe and people. But, yeah, it was everything from like influencers, publicists by, we had posted it, I think over a weekend. So by Monday morning, and this was the Monday before Blackout Tuesday, People were coming out of the woodwork everywhere, um, wanting to talk to us. And then, you know, it amplified even more once Blackout Tuesday rolled around and so many brands found themselves getting in trouble on the Internet. And, um, you know, Danielle and I very quickly were like, you know what, why don't we put something together to teach them? And originally it was for the influencers because a lot of them were wanting to speak up, but they were feeling nervous, scared. They didn't want to, you know, speak out of turn. And, um, and then, you know, with the brands, they were coming to us for direct feedback on maybe what they had posted on Blackout Tuesday, wanting us to help them like, you know, or edit their apologies or come up with strategy for how they were going to move forward after that. So within literally 10 days, we created our first anti-racism workshop to teach to influencers. I think we probably had about like 10 girls in our first class who um, you know, sat through a two-hour seminar with us. We did like an hour-long presentation and then we did an hour-long Q&A with them where they, you know, we always tell people like, this is a safe space. Like, even if you think you have a dumb question, we would rather you ask us while you're paying us than, you know, bother like the one black person you know in your life. So, um, you know, it went really well and the influencers started posting about it. So then the brands were like, oh, we saw that there's a workshop. Can we take it? So then we ended up adapting the workshop also for brands. Um, but meanwhile, taking on some brands as like direct retainer clients. And there was just, yeah, a lot going on. But the workshops have definitely been our most successful offering. Um, you know, the brands, we've had brands continue to come back and do other levels with us because, you know, no one's going to learn everything that they need to know about racism from reading one book or attending one workshop. It's really an ongoing process. I think the interesting thing to, you know, that I'm hearing is how easy it was to prioritize that. Yeah. Not only in that moment, but just period. Right. right. And there have been so many brands that have been in deep hot water oh, yes. um, and crippling situations because of a lack of oversight of cultural appropriateness. Mm -hmm. And it's as easy as reaching out to someone who's an expert and in moments having them just answer your questions and hold their hand, advise and consult on whether something, if you're unsure, yeah. there are people out there that can help you. Yes. Um, they can help brands, entrepreneurs, founders, C-suite executives, train. Um, and it's something that folks should do, you know, uh, no matter what continent you're on. Uh, if you're if you're in 
entering an emergent market um, for your business, um, you know, it's important to find folks that can help you commandeer the situation. And and knowing you and, and Danielle, who I admire and respect mm-hmm. so much, I know how tough it was for you all in this moment because you were hurting, grieving, incensed about things that happened, but yet you took the reins and and did something to make a change to to help. Yeah. You know, I it's actually crazy just how sort of just everything aligned so Organic. so organically and like effortlessly. And Danielle and I just kind of like sprang into action. There was no like, oh, like you do this and I'll do this and here's your skills or and here's where my skills best work. It just, we just work so well together. And I think our skill sets really complement one another. Um, and it's a little bit of like us taking turns playing good cop, bad cop. Right. So- I think in that moment in 2020 and 2021, we're now in 2023, there were so many, um, such a flashlight on creating jobs yeah, um, and, and balance and so forth. And we're hearing more and more about that not being the case. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I just think people don't care anymore. It's really unfortunate, but um, I do think we've seen I mean, not even just in the fashion industry, but it just feels like everything has regressed. Um, I think I'm like sort of intuitively, I feel like there's this idea of like, well, we did all we, you know, could in 2020 and and like that was good enough. And now we're just going to do things like the way that it's easiest or the way that we've always done it. Um, and this is like me, of course, talking um, for non-black people. But yeah, there. I think there is this resistance now, um, almost to to really prioritizing diversity. And Danielle and I see it all the time. Like we send emails to brands when we see that they're up to no good on social media, and we and I feel like our emails go unanswered a lot more than okay. they ever had. Like people always returned our emails, um, you know, the first two years of doing this, even if it was to give us some like, you know, bland PR response, but like there was always a response. Now it's just people are going silent. Right. Because of course it's easier to ignore us than to um, face up to what we're trying to shed light on for you. Yeah. So you're a TV and digital broadcast mainstay. What Mm -hmm. drives your passion for public speaking when it comes to fashion, mental health, music, culture, on and on and on? Um, I was just saying something to someone yesterday because they were like, you're pretty like comfortable with public speaking, right? And I was like, yeah, I think I was born to talk. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just always... Uh, something I've felt very comfortable with. And I also think it's because of the feedback that I receive, um, you know, that that makes you know that like, okay, it's making an impact and and you can keep going. But um, I don't, yeah, I'm like, I don't know how else to describe it. I think it's just something very innate in me. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what advice do you have for someone looking to have a career in social media strategy and management? Um, have a point of view. 
I think that's really, really important, um, no matter what it is. And, you know, have interests and and to share that and to be consistent in the way that you share that. That's something I very much struggle with when it comes to uh, content creation. But I think if you are someone who is just starting out and like especially in the year of 2023, I think consistency is is often what really um, gets rewarded on these platforms, especially when it comes to Instagram and TikTok. But yeah, I think it's not being afraid to have a point of view. And I know that oftentimes that can feel very scary because of like the social media mobs and cancel culture as you know, people love to whine about but um, you gotta. That's what makes you stand out. Like you have to be you have to be known for something. Right. And consistent. Yeah. Consistently that. So what are some of your most exciting experiences when you've worked with various brands? As I mentioned earlier, you've worked <laughs> with American Express, J. Crew, JW Marriott Hotels, and, and more um, through this journey. Uh, and it's different because you did this at Harper's Bazaar, but how what what are some of the most rewarding moments that you've had since you've been an entrepreneur on your own, managing your own brand? I think, well, you know, a lot of brands have come to me for like very purpose driven projects. And that always feels really great to me. Um, I think in 2021, I partnered with Headspace. And I'm such a huge fan of that app. I'm a big, big meditation girly. And I've been using it since like probably 2016. So I was so excited when they came to me to do um, a partnership. And I created like a reel for them on Instagram. And then, you know, a little while later, they also asked me to speak on a panel for ad week with uh, the VP of Headspace and to talk about like what goes into creating an organic partnership, especially when it comes to something like mental health. Um, so, you know, those are the those are definitely moments that really excite me, um, as well as getting to travel. You know, I, you know, I've obviously spoken a lot about um, mental health and anxiety. I had a huge fear of flying for a very, very, very long time. And it wasn't until my time at Bazaar where I started getting more opportunities to travel that I was like, shit, I like need to get over this. Um, and so around like 26, I think, 26, 27, I started like really working through my fear of flying. And, you know, wow, like what the whole world opened up for me and so many opportunities opened up for me. And, you know, my life would be so different if I wasn't able to get on a plane. And um, just a few weeks ago, I got to go to Sicily with J. Crew for their first ever brand trip, which is kind of crazy because everybody knows J. Crew. They're an iconic American brand. They had never done a brand trip, but like we've seen so many so other like the entire trip. <laughs> younger, you know, so many younger brands do. So it was really uh, I felt so honored to be there. And they hired this incredible photographer, Lucy Lott, who shot these images that just felt really reminiscent of the like iconic J Crew catalogs that I'm sure we all used to get in the mail as kids. Like I remember those days of like being so excited when I got a new J Crew catalog and like going through it and like imagining, okay, if I had like all the money in the world, like what would I want to order? And like, you know, they're like matching 
or they're like mix and match swim sets and all of those things. Um, and so their photographer just like really churned out these incredible images that I think really like evoke that time. And damn, it's just like, what a full circle moment, right. you know, <laughs> when you think about it. I'm like, shit, like, you know, there's... Uh, I, I've always been a dreamer and I had such big dreams for myself, but there is just no way that I could have ever imagined like half of what has happened to me in my life. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's pretty exciting to watch. So what's next for Chrissy? Um, that is a great question. I don't know. I'd really like to write a book. And that is something I'm speaking into existence right now. Uh, you know, I know a lot goes into it, but I'm definitely getting to a point, I think, in my, you know, career where I'm like, I would be down to devote the time to do that. And also, I've been cultivating like, in real life events through my newsletter community. I actually started doing it while I was in London last year and sort of hosting these like meetups where, um, you know, I would I would pick a time and a place and whoever wants to come can join. And um, in London, they've been hosted at my friend, um, my friend's wine bar in Eccleston Yards. It's called Ami Wine Studio. And it's just been so nice to connect with the women that follow me, you know, as much as I spend time in my DMs, like messaging with people like, you know, I can't keep always keep track of like who is who. So getting to put like a face to a name and just seeing these girls come together and seeing that even though we maybe grew up on different continents and we're in different industries and doing different things, there's still so many ways in which we can relate to one another. And it's been really fun to watch them like make friends with one another. And the last time I did a, you know, a meetup in London, this girl came and she was American. She said she had just moved there to from LA. And she was like, I knew I would be able to make friends if I came here. And like, that's just such a like an exciting thing for me. Awesome. And it's, and it was, yeah, it's been really fun to be able to connect with my community in real life. And I think especially like coming out of the pandemic, we we're all like chronically online and like stuck in our homes. And it's just nice to get people connecting in real life again. Yes, yes. So what do you love about London? Um, I love the slower pace of life. I think for where I'm at right now, it's exactly what I need. And, you know, there's a less of the like grind culture and, you know, and also like having to be at a million different events in one night. Because I can imagine um, in New York. <laughs> You have three or four invitations. This is the way it is. You know, I really noticed, especially this year, because, you know, obviously things change so much, um, you know, throughout COVID. But I feel like this year is really the year that everyone's like, OK, it's back. We're full on all the events, all the dinners, all the parties, all the trips. <laughs> and I'm like, this is absolutely exhausting. I really felt that I was home for April and May. And just like, I'm in the city, like you're commuting into the city three, four times a week. And, you know, at these dinners and Ubering home, getting home after midnight. And it just takes a toll. And of course, yes, my life would probably be much easier if I just moved back to the city, but I'm not really ready for that yet. So um, yeah, it's just nice to, I don't want to say like London is an escape, but 
it's just a different way to live Maybe my life it's for you. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different way to live my life. Yeah. I love that you have that you've allowed yourself the freedom and bravery to do yes. so. And I wanted to share that because I know there are people who are probably considering the same and here you are doing both. Yeah. It's been really exciting. Again, like, I mean, I've said this like so many times, but I just feel so grateful for where I'm at in my life. Like even lately I've been like, it almost feels like too good, like, you know, waiting for the shoe to drop. Um, and I hate to like think like that, but I'm like, this is really my life. Like I get to travel as I please and do work on things that, I, you know, whenever I want. And not to say that I don't have problems because I definitely do. Um, but I just feel really, really grateful. I do. Well, it's so important to live in gratitude and <laughs> it hear is. you say that despite the problems, yes. you're in a space of gratitude. Yeah. Well, Chrissy, it's been so lovely having you here. Thank you. How can our listeners that don't already follow you find you? You can find me at Chrissy Ford on all social media platforms. I like to keep it consistent. Um, and you can find my newsletter at fwdjoy.com. Thanks to dad. Yes, shout out to my dad. <laughs> well, Chrissy, it's been great having you here. This is What's Next podcast with Yumindi Francis. I'm your host, Yumindi Francis. You can find us on Instagram at What's Next with Yumindi and on YouTube at What's Next podcast with Yumindi Francis. And I'm Yumindi360 on Instagram and Yumindi Francis on LinkedIn. Not keeping it consistent, but we're out there. <laughs> Take care from London. Bye.